Good morning, everybody. Uh, I have the uh, great privilege of leading us in the Bible, or turning to the Bible this morning, uh, looking at John chapter 11. We're going to go to verses 1 through to 27. So if you'd want to join with me, it's certainly on the screen, or if you've got your phones, or indeed Bible, jump into that. John chapter 11, 1 through to 27. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. The village of Mouth, uh, sorry, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was laid sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So his sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you will love, he's sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, that so that God's Son may be glorified through this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble. For he sees by the world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, and his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go, so that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. Even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Thank you, Tim. Hey, uh, all our favorite stories and all our favorite movies seem to have lines that you'll never forget. Or have a scene that you'll never forget. I see a little brainstorm with myself and thought, what's a scene in a movie I won't forget? This is weird, but I want two opening scenes. One is the first time as a kid you see Star Wars and the big, what's it called? Battle cruiser thing goes over and it's so big. And just to show you that I am diverse, not only that, the other one I thought of was Fraulein Maria twirling in the mountains and the green and stuff like that. Thank you, Joe. Um, you, you have these scenes and you've got your own scenes from your own movies. 
and you had these things people said, like the greatest movie ever made has this famous scene. You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, walls that need to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You, you, Lieutenant. I should stop, but I would keep going. The reason I'm sharing this with you is because this is common to John's story as well. There are scenes and there are sayings that kind of stand out and they stand out on purpose. In John's gospel, which we've been studying together, there are what John calls signs. Now, commonly, you might call them a miracle. You might call them uh, a wonder. John calls them signs, which is really helpful because they are miraculous. There are times where Jesus seems to defy the laws of physics and all kinds of things. But John importantly calls them signs because he wants us to realize they're pointing to something. One of the things that I've realized is that often these scenes or signs that are famous in John's gospel seem to work in tandem with special sayings. We are in a series called I Am Jesus Messiah where we are examining the seven times that Jesus says, I am And quick flashback, if you haven't been with us, this phrasing, I am, the way Jesus says it, is Jesus reprising the very words of God when he first revealed himself to Moses. So Jesus, with these I am's, is claiming his divine status. What I noticed as I was looking at scenes and sayings is how they seem to work together in John's gospel. I'll give you an example. I was reading a while ago and shared with you, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with miraculous bread from heaven. There's his sign. And then a little while later, he says, I am the bread of life. And you see how that sign and that saying seem to work together. Later on, Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. And shortly after that, he'll, re- he'll help a blind man receive sight and for the first time see light. And he'll say again, I am the light of the world. And so I've been watching how these things work together. And today here in John chapter 11, you see them about as close as you're going to see them because this is the seventh sign of Jesus and it is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So if you continue when you get home reading John 11, you'll see that, spoiler alert, Lazarus is going to come out of the tomb after four days. But here's the thing. These signs truly are signs. They are like an arena, spectacular in and of themselves but not built for the purpose of just being spectacular, built for the purpose of demonstrating something more. That's where the sayings come in. All of these signs point to something more wonderful, more amazing, more informative, more miraculous than themselves. And so this sign is a tricky one because this sign's kind of intimate. This isn't, oh, there was some guy Jesus healed. This is a guy whose name we know. He's Lazarus. This is a guy who we're told is a particular friend of Jesus. Jesus loves this guy and he knows this guy's sisters, Martha and Mary. And we feel ourselves kind of drawn in to this whole picture. There's an intimacy and there's an amazingness because a guy who's been dead for four solid days is going to be raised from the grave as Jesus simply says to him, come out. And again, spoiler alert, the great sign is that Lazarus will come out. A guy who's been dead for four days gets resuscitated, brought back to life by Jesus' command. But here's the thing. This story is not about Lazarus. Despite the intensity of a man resurrected and the wonder of that, despite the intimacy of knowing his name, his relationships, where he lives, all these sorts of things, 
Lazarus' life has the great honor of pointing to something bigger than itself. So what's the story about? If it's not about Lazarus, the seeming star of the story, what's it about? Jesus tells us, verse 4. Let's have a look at verse 4 together. When Jesus heard the report of Lazarus being sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This sign, this Lazarus getting sick, dying and being brought out of a tomb is not about Lazarus. This is a story about God's glory. We might feel a temptation to examine all the things of Lazarus' life. Why did it happen to him? Why was he picked? How did it go? All those sorts of things. But I've got to tell you, that kind of speculation is on the level of reflecting on Jesus turning water into wine and then wanting to pause and go, is it red wine or white wine? I said it was good wine, but our palates are different. You know, I like a Chardonnay and I like a Cab Sab and all that sort of thing. It's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to see God's glory. Jesus even goes further and says, here's what you're not going to see. This story will not result in death. See, Jesus knows what you and I know, that death has a, a, essentially a perfect track record. Death is the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world by knockout every time. Death reigns. And Jesus says, this man's life and his sickness is like an arena built. But in this arena, you're not going to see death come out on top. This isn't about death's glory. This is about God's glory. This is about the Son of God, me, being glorified. So our mission this morning, despite all the other concerns we might have about Lazarus and how his life worked and all these sorts of things, is to see how is God's glory revealed in this episode? How is God's glory shown in this sign? Let's see if I can help us do that. The first way we see that this is a story about God's glory is by seeing that this is a story of Jesus, of God's glory come down. It's called incarnation. Uh, Now, John tells us, and the reference I've put on the screen is wrong. It should be John chapter 1, verse 14, not 4. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John sets us up from the very first chapter to meet the Son of God who is God. And he says, my story is a story of incarnation. That's fancy language for taking on flesh. Of the eternal God stepping into time and space and wrapping himself in it and doing his work in it. And so... Jesus' life, Jesus' incarnation is the story of heavenly glory come down and participating in the earthly world. Let me show you in John chapter 11 where you see Jesus wrapping himself incarnate, wrapping himself in our creaturely earthly existence. First of all, we've got Jesus who is the eternal God, the one who designed time, the one who created a thing called time. Well, now in the mind of some, he's late. How is that a thing? When you create a time, you exist outside of time. Jesus now inserted himself into time, 
in such a way that when his friend gets sick and everybody thinks, put the lights and siren on your donkey and get there as quick as you can, Jesus makes a cup of tea and hangs around for two more days. And the reaction is a kind of polite from Martha. And if you read on a more intense from Mary, what were you doing? If you were on time, we wouldn't be in this mess. But I can't tell God he's late. Here's a space where we see the eternal God clothe himself in time. Here's a space where we see the God who declares and we say is omnipresent, that he is, you know, he's present everywhere. This is a God who participates in geography. I am here and my friend is there. And I am not there because I am here. This is God omnipresent putting himself in geography. This is God who John has introduced us as the triune God, that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living in a perfect and incorruptible relationship with himself, unchangeable, without trouble, without error. This is God expanding the relationship, incarnate, coming to earth, making friends, and even doing what we all do, helping out a friend in a tough time, because Lazarus, who he loves, is now sick. And he feels that. You can read on and read the shortest chapter, in the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. That's all it says. But that's a picture of the incarnation. That's a picture of the glorious God stepping in and knowing what it's like. In this picture, we have a picture of the God who we claim is omnipotent. The God who says he's omnipotent, that is powerful over all things, being warned by his friends, um, are you out of your mind? You can't go to Judea. There's danger there. How do you warn the omnipotent God of danger? Your life would be in danger. They might hurt you, God. But this is the story of incarnation. This is God coming and clothing him in the existence we know. How do you see glory there? Look at how Jesus responds. Rather then lights and siren on the donkey to get there as fast as he possibly can, Jesus isn't stressed at all by the time parameters. He's almost a little bit raised the stakes. I want to show you something. I want to show you light shining in darkness. In the face of danger, don't go to, don't go to Judea. They will kill you there. Jesus uses this uh, slightly tricky to understand wording of, hey, there are 12 hours of light and there's 12 hours of darkness and we're walking in light. What's he saying? He's saying, I recognize the danger you've spoken to, but just as in the past when people tried to capture me and they couldn't lay a hand to me, I am above earthly plans. I walk in the sovereignty of God. So yes, I've put myself in this space that has danger, has time, has geography, has all these constrictions. I am above them and beyond them. His light is bursting and he's doing things that a normal human doesn't do. What else is he doing that a normal human doesn't do? He's treating death in a way that nobody else would. He has to explain to his disciples, yes, Lazarus is dead, because they were confused when he said he's fallen asleep. 
Jesus looks at this situation with Lazarus, whose vital signs have stopped. He's stone cold. A doctor would pronounce him dead. And Jesus says he's fallen asleep. Because when you are the Lord, the giver of life, you look at death in a different way. Jesus looks at it uh, as glory, confining himself to flesh and says, I'm going to give him a shake and wake him up. Because I am over death. I'm bigger than this stuff. But he plays along and says, yes, he is dead. Jesus is bigger than the space and time he confines himself to. But what we see in Jesus' participation in this relationship is the incarnation of God. And the incarnation is when God's heavenly glory, which is separate from the earth, when glory comes down. And it's in the midst of this glory come down. It's in the midst of Jesus having friends who are getting sick, having geography, having the assumption that he's late, that he makes his definitive and big statement in verse 25, where he says to Martha, I am the resurrection. Now note how he says this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. What Jesus doesn't say at this point is, I am the resurrector. Not talking about what he does, he's talking about who he is. Uh, they are related, but in this instance, he's talking about who he is. So previously, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, three times in that passage, he said, I will raise him up, I will raise him up, I will raise him up on the last day. He said, I am the resurrector, essentially. Here he says, I am the resurrection. I'm not talking in the first instance about what I do. I'm talking about who I am. So what does he mean when he says, I am the resurrection? Well, if incarnation is the glory of God come down, then when we meet Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, the glory of God come down, when he says, I am the resurrection, I want you to know he is saying more than I am the resuscitation. He is saying, I am humanity raised up. I am the creaturely order to which you and I belong, raised to a new status. To get our heads around this, we kind of got to unlearn some stuff. Because when we think resurrection, we think Easter, right? We think Jesus was dead, now he's alive, that's the resurrection. Well, yes it is, but the resurrection is even larger. You see, if that's the resurrection, then Lazarus could be walking around saying, hey, just like Jesus, I'm the resurrection. And he did three days, I did four, so do the math. Lazarus was dead, and Jesus raised him back to life. And that is a resurrection, but it's a sign that points to something much bigger. What Jesus is saying is just as in incarnation the glory of God comes down, Jesus is humanity raised to a new state. So yes, when you take someone who was dead and make them alive, you have, you have something of a resurrection. But Jesus is talking about something bigger and more profound. He's talking about taking the human state, the state that is naturally in Adam, and Lazarus does it, where you die, where you're constrained by the world, and he's saying, I'm lifting this to a higher thing. I don't know if this is the right language, but I'm trying to explain 
pretty big concept. This is like taking humanity and raising its state or humanity and making it some kind of a new species. Now, that's wrong at one level, but I want to push into our thought about how we see humans. Jesus is saying, I, who have taken on humanity, am raising the glory of humanity. I'm raising the state and I'm raising the stakes and I'm changing the game forever. And I think one of the most powerful ways to see this, which blows my mind, is as much as my mind is blown at the incarnation where the glory of God would come down and the eternal one takes on flesh and dwells among us and I still don't understand how Colossians 1 can tell us that God was pleased for his fullness to dwell in a baby in a manger. That's mind-boggling. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's not just talking about Easter Sunday. He's talking about a raised state of humanity. And so I want you to contemplate Jesus' ascension into heaven. What do you think happened? He started dead in the tomb. The resurrection was coming to life being seen by many so our faith isn't silly it was witnessed by many and then jesus ascended into heaven what do you think happened he got past the clouds and went now get this stuff off me brothers and sisters it could bring you to tears to contemplate that the god who took on flesh took flesh with him he took the created order he took humanity and has seated it in the heavenly realm Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say when I'm talking about changing species and words that I don't know how to use. I'm trying to say our great and glorious Savior Jesus has taken the glory of heaven and brought it down, made it shown on earth in his incarnation. And he's taken normal humanity and raised it up that now there is a human body in the heavenly realm. And his name is Jesus. I am the resurrection i am the one who raises humanity to a level of glory that it could never have jesus is answering the cry of the heart isn't he because in the space where martha was grieving her dead brother jesus said he'll rise again and she said look i know he'll rise in the resurrection Uh, for, for jewish thinkers they looked forward to a time where there would be a general resurrection and the strife and the trouble would be over. But you don't need to be an Israelite to have that kind of thinking. Most people I talk to also crave a better day. You crave the day where your friends don't get sick. You crave the day where life's not interrupted by COVID. You crave the day where the election goes the way you wanted it to go or you don't even need an election because all things are sorted and right. Doesn't humanity crave something better? Doesn't humanity hope that life gets better? Jesus says, I'm the better that humanity's been hoping for. I'm the raised state. I'm the glorified and elevated humanity. I'm God come down and creature raised up. And it's because of this that Jesus can say, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Verse 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. 
What's Jesus saying? Okay, I'm going to do the whole Bible for you in a minute. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is Genesis chapter 1. Two separate realms, heaven and earth. The God space, the creature space. And the amazing thing is that God creates humanity. From the earth, he creates an earthling, Adam from Adamar. And this person is formed from the dust of the earth. They have shape, they have form, but they don't have life yet. When do they have life? When God breathed the breath of life into the Adam's nostrils. And he became a living human. It's proximity. Life is about proximity with God. And so as Genesis continues, we see Adam walking with God in the cool of the day. There's a picture of life where God and humanity dwell together. Where does death come about? When Adam and Eve eat uh, against God's command, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they are banished from the, from the garden, and no longer is that proximity. God and humanity are not together. And though you might argue, look, they remain animated. Look, we're still animated, so they didn't die. God declared at that point they died. And he declares it much later in Ephesians chapter 2, where he declares... You were once dead in your sin and transgression as you followed the prince of the air. You weren't with me and that makes you dead. Here's what Jesus does. He says, in my incarnation, I am God come down. I am the resurrection. I am humanity raised up. In me, there is life because here is where human and God are together once more. And the dwelling place of God is with his people. And it starts with me. And it's Jesus and what he has done already as the incarnate one and the resurrected one that gives us our end time hope. What is our end time hope? Don't tell me, then I go to heaven. Because there's better news than that. Heaven comes to you. Our end time hope looks like these emerging circles where Jesus brings heaven and earth. The God man brings all of creation to be like him. Heaven and earth come together and there is true life where the dwelling place of God is with his people. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's saying this is humanity raised up with a God who has come down so that true life might be had. This is life. This is the resurrection life. Now you might say, that's great. I look forward to that when I die. That will be wonderful to be in the dwelling place of God and I'll keep that like my insurance policy. Good, do that. It's the best insurance policy you'll ever get. You'll say, but what does it change today? Let me tell you how it changes me. And you see if it changes you. What does resurrection life look like? Well, some of you know that I like cycling. And here's a little bit of my story. As a teenager, my dream was to validate or give my life significance. I did not want to be uh, just taking up oxygen or feeling like an extra in someone else's movie. And so my desire was to win uh, a particular event at the Olympic Games in world record time to be able to say I am the greatest that ever did this particular movement. Which some years later just seems a little bit crazy. But anyway, come with me to the mind of 15-year-old Shane. I dreamed of this thing that would give me significance. What was I seeking? I was seeking glory. The glory would make me feel significant. At age 16, I met Jesus. An enormous monkey came off my back of trying to give myself significance. 
No longer did I need to seek that glory because in Jesus, God's glory had come down. And he said, hey, so significant to me are you that I've come from heaven to die your death. I love you that much. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. That's God saying, I love you so much. I brought glory down to die for you. And I am so powerful that I will raise you up. Now, what glory do you still need? Man, as I told this story this morning and tell it again now, I want to go back and give 16-year-old or 15-year-old Shane a big hug and say, young man, there's so much more to life than what you're pursuing. There's a glory so much more profound and so much more filling and has so much more peace in it than Olympic medals. And maybe it's, maybe it's someone here that I want to hug today with my words. You don't want to engage me. And say, whatever it is you think you need to be, whatever glory you still think you need to add to be significant, the Lord Jesus says, I've come down to share God's glory with you and to raise you up. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I want you to have my peace and my peace now. And for those things that drag you down, for me, it was a striving issue. Maybe for you, it's a feeling pulled down. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I feel, and those feelings are real. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And he asked Mary, he asked Martha, do you believe this? And maybe his question to you this morning is, do you believe this? Do you believe that in Christ, you are more than the sum of your parts? Do you believe that in Christ you are more than what you can achieve and how you can glorify yourself? And do you believe that whenever those voices come into your head that say, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not like him, you say, he is the resurrection and he has raised my state. God says I'm glorified. And I think one of the most powerful things of this whole story is a life without shame. Because the scriptures tell me that the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. My prayer this morning is that as we contemplate this, we might have certainty for eternity. The God who came down to lift up humanity that we might have eternal life. My prayer also is that we might live a life that is conscious and conscientious, sure, but is shame free. Shame is when we tell ourselves, I'm not good enough. But God has glorified you if you're in Christ. Jesus' question to Martha, my question to you is, do you believe this? My message this morning is, Jesus, is God come down that humanity may be raised up? He is the incarnation. He is the resurrection. And because of this, because of this, because of this, he is the life, the only life. Let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus We thank you that as that ancient, ancient uh, creed recorded in Philippians 2 says, he did not consider equality with God to be used at his advantage, but instead he emptied himself of his heavenly glory and took on flesh to dwell amongst us. And as John tells us, as he dwells amongst us, he shines light in darkness and brings heavenly glory down to earth. And we thank you for his words that he is the resurrection, that he has glorified humanity and raised us up. Father God, there are many voices that will tell us who we are and what we should do and how we're not enough and all these sorts of things. Thank you that Jesus says 
in me, you are raised up and you can have life and you can have peace and you can have certainty for eternity. Father God, in our hearts now, may we respond to the question that he asked Martha. Do you believe this? In Jesus' name we pray.